in the book of Revelation. You know, we're all familiar with the Christmas story and know of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men and the angels. But there is another important character who never shows up in our nativity sets, and that is the devil. Well, let me assure you that Satan did not sleep through the birth of Jesus. His handiwork can be seen in Herod's attack on the children of Bethlehem, but he was doing much more than that in an attempt to stop the arrival of the Savior. And in chapter 12 of Revelation, we get a behind-the-scenes look at what was going on in the spiritual realm. For there we see the dragon's failed attack on the baby Jesus and a picture of his continuing attack on the church today. We begin with his failed attack on the baby. Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. I don't think it's hard to see a picture of the birth of Jesus in that vision. A woman appears, about to give birth to a child who will rule all nations, and a dragon appears, ready to oppose him, to devour him. But the child escapes his grasp and is taken back to the throne of God. And God makes provision to care for the woman who's left behind. That is the essence of the vision and I believe all would agree that it's a snapshot of the Incarnation. It's a picture of Jesus coming to earth, facing the hosts of hell and defeating them. And of his return to heaven, leaving behind the church. Now, as is often the case in visions, there's more to one layer of meaning embedded in the images that are used. And more than Mary is being pictured by the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. 
as we read on through the twelfth chapter, we'll learn of the dragon's persecution of the woman and the war he declares against her offspring. And it will become obvious that more than Mary is in view here. The woman represents the source from which the Savior came and that which remained on earth after he left. Now, that source was Israel, the people of God under the old covenant, the 12 tribes, symbolized by the 12 stars on her crown. And that which remained after he left is the church, the people of God in the new covenant, established by 12 apostles, also symbolized by the 12 stars in her crown. Now, both are referred to in Scripture as God's bride. So being represented by a woman is most appropriate. And in actuality, both are the same, for God only has one bride. All who share the faith of Abraham, who take God at his word and allow him to provide the sacrificial lamb that frees them from the penalty of sin, become part of the collective bride of Christ. Now, Mary is obviously included in the vision of the glorious woman who gave birth to the Christ child. But so are we, her offspring. The purpose of the vision, therefore, isn't merely to remind us of the birth of Christ. It's to show us that Satan opposed it and why he continues to oppose the woman who gave birth to Christ. Immediately, after seeing one great sign in heaven, the glorious woman about to give birth, John sees another, the great red dragon, with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. The heads and crowns symbolize his authority, and the horns his power. And he's not alone. With him are the fallen angels who joined him in his rebellion against God, the stars that were swept from heaven and thrown to earth. Together, they await the birth, ready to devour the Christ child. Not that Satan's opposition to the plan of God to save mankind was anything new. You know, he had been opposing God's plan since the Garden of Eden. And he had continued to do so throughout mankind's and Israel's history. It was just that now the focal point of God's plan was being revealed and Satan pulled out all the stops to defeat it. He was waiting for the child at his birth. He was waiting for him in the wilderness as he inaugurated his ministry. He was waiting for him in the Jewish courts. And he was waiting for him with a Roman cross. But he could not devour him. He arose victorious from the grave and ascended back to heaven, leaving behind a church that would be nourished for 1,200 and 60 days. Now, as we've already seen, in Revelation, numbers have special significance. And 
1,260 days is a period that is represented several ways in the book of Revelation. It's presented as 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, and a time, times, I can't do it, and half a time. All are half of a period of seven, be they years or days or an undetermined period of time. They all seem to indicate an indefinite, incomplete, yet limited period of time. And in this context, it apparently represents the entire time the church is on earth, from the ascension until the second coming. A time during which God nourishes his people and uses them to accomplish his purposes on earth. The dragon failed in his attempt to devour the child. And his failure to defeat God's plan for our salvation resulted in something else as well. He lost the right to bring accusation Against us. Verses 7 through 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Now, whether or not we are to understand by this that Satan actually followed Jesus to heaven and there attempted again to defeat him, I don't know. At the very least, we're given a picture of spiritual warfare between the forces of good and evil. Michael and his angels are pictured as waging war with the dragon and his angels. The dragon being unmistakably identified as the devil or Satan. Devil being from the Greek for accuser and Satan from the Hebrew for the same thing. The outcome of this warfare was that Satan was no longer given access to heaven. He and his angels, who were pictured as stars in verse 4, were thrown down to the earth. Now, I don't believe this is intended to picture the original fall of Satan when he began his career of evil. 
but to make clear that at some point in history, he lost his right to come before God and accuse the brethren. You know, in the book of Job, that's what we see Satan doing. He came before God and brought accusation against Job. However, here we're told that when the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ came, the accuser was thrown down from heaven. He lost his right to accuse us in the presence of God. And what was it that destroyed his right to do this? Was it his defeat by Michael? No. It was his defeat by the blood of the Lamb. Those who claimed allegiance to God and therefore would have been the ones Satan pointed a finger at and accused of sin and defilement on the basis of the law were now cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Satan no longer had accusation to bring because the penalty for their sins had been paid in full by another, by the very Son of God. That is how Satan was defeated. He could no longer stand before God on the basis of justice and demand that even God's chosen people be sentenced to death. Now, one time he could do that. The penalty for sin is death, and even God's people sin. So before the penalty had been paid, Satan had a right to come before God and remind him that all of mankind was lost, but that right was lost when Jesus died in our place. No longer did God have to allow himself to be reminded that the penalty had to be paid. It had been paid. Salvation had come. And all who would testify that they were willing to die with Christ could now share in the merit of his death. All who would publicly acknowledge that they were sinful and deserving of death and who would then in fact die with Christ through Christian baptism could be saved. The demands of justice had been met. And Satan's accusation was no longer valid. He had been defeated by the woman's son in spite of his best efforts to invalidate the plan of salvation. He was therefore barred from the court of heaven. And all who dwell in the heavenly realms rejoiced because they would no longer have to listen to his accusations. That did not, however, spell the end of Satan's activity. It just limited his sphere of activity to the earth. And that meant woe to the earth and the sea and to those who dwell on earth. Because it meant they would now be the focus of all of Satan's activity. He had lost the war but he didn't quit fighting. He couldn't devour the child, and he could no longer effectively accuse the brethren. All he could do now was persecute the church and hope to take some down to defeat 
with him. Verses 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Then the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. When Satan realized he couldn't defeat her son, he decided to vent his fury on the woman, the church. That, in and of itself, explains the persecution the church was facing in 95 A.D., Satan was trying to destroy the church because he couldn't destroy the Savior. But God wasn't about to let the church be destroyed. He therefore gave to the church the wings of an eagle to escape from Satan, just as he had done for the ancient Israelites. In Exodus 19.4, God was recounting with Moses how he had delivered the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's the same picture here. God delivered the church from the hand of Satan and made certain it was secure. He made sure it was in a position where it could be nourished and grow while on earth for a time and times and half a time. That indefinite but limited period of time during which we find ourselves today awaiting the Lord's return. God has seen to it that the church is protected. There are limits to what Satan can do to the church. He can harass it, and he can attack it. He can cause problems within it, but he cannot destroy it no matter how hard he tries. And he has tried. A flood of evil and lies have gushed from the mouth of Satan in the hopes of sweeping the church away off the face of the earth. But the earth itself has come to the defense of the church. The testimony of nature and the realities of life have confirmed the truthfulness of the church's witness and have served as checks against Satan's attacks. That's not to say that Satan can't bring great persecution against the church. He was surely doing that, even as John wrote. But he soon realized that he could not defeat the church. So he changed his strategy once again. He wasn't able to defeat the woman's son. 
And he couldn't sweep the woman from the face of the earth, so he decided to simply try to pick off the rest of the woman's offspring, one at a time. He decided to make war with individual Christians since he couldn't defeat Christ or destroy the church. And that is his focus for today. Now, Christ is one. So there's no longer a battle in heaven. And the church is secure, so Satan knows he's wasting his time trying to get rid of it, even though he still tries to do so in selected parts of the world. He knows his only real hope is to knock off individual believers who fail to keep the commandments of God and who lose faith in the testimony of Jesus. But he can't even do that if we'll remain faithful. And if we regularly partake of the spiritual nourishment God has provided for us through the church. Nourishment that will keep us spiritually strong until Christ returns to take us home. We have nothing to fear from the dragon. If we're numbered with the faithful who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Our faith in Christ's victory over Satan assures us of our victory over him as well. But if you've not publicly expressed faith in Christ's victory, or have laid down arms in the struggle against the dragon, you are in danger of defeat. Don't let that happen. Affirm. Or if need be, reaffirm your desire to share in Christ's victory. Embrace and live in the faith that overcomes the world and overcomes the God of this world. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.